What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined me today because we have a very special guest joining us on the show today. Today, we have Chad Jenkins. Chad is an entrepreneur and visionary known for reshaping businesses to deliver remarkable returns. Chad's track record includes 40-plus high-growth companies and numerous successful growth partnerships. Now, he empowers others through growth collaboration partnerships and the Seed Park Growth Academy. His new book, Just Add a Zero, is a guide to outperforming competitors and achieving exponential growth through collaboration. And we are lucky to have him on the show today and join us to share his knowledge and wisdom from his journey. So let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Chad, welcome to the show. It's so exciting to have you here. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited to dive in and dig into the guts of everything that you've been up to and how you're helping people these days. But we've got to start with your backstory. I love being able to talk about what happens behind the scenes. You know, being an entrepreneur is not glamorous and it seems kind of lonely at times. And so it's super fun to be able to jump in and kind of go through what led you to this point, the ups and downs, the winding road you took. So let's start from the beginning or whatever the beginning is for you. And, and let's hear what you've been through to get to this point. Okay. Uh, I grew up on a farm in South Carolina, where oh, I geez. joke that time moves backwards, actually. Uh, and it, even through this podcast, you'll figure out that my brain is not really one that seems complementary to growing up on a farm in South Carolina. Uh, <laughs> so I spent a lot of time on that farm where, as I mentioned, I joke that time moves backwards, but things just move at a little bit slower pace. And I was around horses as a kid all the time. Uh, at sure. a very early age, I would say between eight and nine, I figured out exactly what my father made roughly in annual. And right. I did a reverse math on it all the way back down to the minute. I said, there's no way in heck I'm ever going to be paid that. I'm going to figure <laughs> this out myself. But right before I did, uh, once I figured out exactly what the number was, I added a zero to it. And that's actually where the, the title of the book, the most recent book came from at that time. I've been adding that zero ever since. What it makes me do is look at things a little bit different. Um, when I say that, there's a famous quote by it's a gentleman named Thomas Widener. He was a scribe for Theodore Roosevelt. If you Google it, it's going to say Theodore Roosevelt said it. He didn't. If you dig a little deeper, you'll find it. But what he said was, do what you can with what you have where you are. So keep in mind, this eight to nine-year-old kid was on a farm digging post holes manually, not with a tractor, putting up barbed wire fence and moving cows and horses around. So I had to figure out how. I'm going to make more than or at least equal to this economy more than because I added that zero, if you recall, to what my father was making at that time. And it, what it forced me to do is look at the resources that were immediately at my disposal and take them and recombine them to create additional value. 
so that's been a long time ago. I'm not close to eight years old anymore, but I've been <laughs> doing the exact same thing through all these different businesses. You mentioned the, a decent quantity before. I feel like I've been doing the exact same thing since the very first one, even before there was a business. So I evolved to using those resources that were immediately on that farm and combining them. First one was I used to go to horse sales as a kid. My father and I grew up riding horses. So I learned how to ride at a very early age. And in going to those horse sales, I figured out uh, pretty quickly the art of collaboration. So in the stands, there are people who want to buy the horse. They raise their hand. You're familiar with the concept and that places a bid. The horse is moving back and forth in the arena. And I figured out that if this little kid was riding the horse, the people in the stands who are raising their hands to place a bid would think that they could also ride the horse. Not 100% true. But as a, at a very early age, I was making, you know, four to five hundred bucks a week uh, going to two or three horse sales. And when my contemporaries were thinking about playing basketball or football, so it's a little different upbringing. I continued that by looking at those resources that were on that farm. We luckily had a tractor, a truck at 15. I could drive. Thank you, South Carolina and a trailer. <laughs> and I, so with a, a little bit of marketing and outreach, I figured out there were quite a few banks. This is obviously showing some of my age. They were purchasing out parcels around a major metropolitan at that time, Charlotte, North Carolina, to build branches in the future. They didn't need them landscaped, though the first company's name had landscaping in it. They needed it bush hogged. I was very familiar with that. I thought right. I was going to have a permanent crick in my neck from going round and round mowing pastures. So I could take those same skill set and again, collaborate with the resources I had at my fingertips and provide value to those banks who are eventually going to build out parcels or build bank branches on them. Uh, and it just continued to evolve and apply to different business models. There's a fundamental concept that in the book, it speaks to at a little bit more depth, but it's one that I've coined as remove the film and remove the film. We've all dealt with it before. You get a new iPhone, probably the most prevalent removing of the film that we've done here recently with the launch of the iPhone 15 or a new car where you have to take this plastic off of the GPS and it looks a lot more vibrant. So when I look at conventional business models, I see inside of them, same thing as that eight year old kid. I had to look at the resources that were immediately at my disposal. So when you looking, when you think of a conventional business, they're executing and producing a similar result as the other contemporaries in that space. But if you peel the onion back and you look at the layers of resources that actually combined to create that outcome, perhaps you were to reconfigure them, you can create additional value. Right. And if it's com complemented by looking or just listening to the complaints in an industry and asking a few simple questions, the remove the film stands for friction identification and leverage the market. So the leveraging the market component of that requires you to ask a few questions. You've been introduced to these complaints. <clears throat> if you own a business, you hear them daily. If you're in an industry, you may make some yourself. I challenge you or encourage you to begin to ask the question, if you solve this, is it applicable to just your business or is it applicable to every business that's like yours in your city or your immediate area? Or perhaps it's applicable to every business like yours in North America or the United States or wherever you may be. If you get three answers of yes in a row, uh, my normal MO was to consider starting a business and solving that, not only for myself, but for others. So in the title of the book, and you mentioned it earlier, is to outperform your competition, 
name your own price and potentially go global. Removing the film is a foundational element that empowers you to identify those areas and then also a sequence to validate how deep and far can you go because you validate the depth of market in a pretty quick fashion. So right. same, same exact concept, just add a zero at the very beginning, which made me have to think about things in a bigger light because I had bigger aspirations and I wanted a much bigger outcome, not the general convention that you see in today's market or today's industry. And then what the guiding principle, the remove the film has enabled me or empowered me to move through so many different industries that to the outsider would seem extremely abstract. General construction doesn't really go with cybersecurity, but the nature that drove me to making a mark in both those industries is exactly the same thing. There was a friction who I could provide value to the end user at a much higher level. And I was able to wipe the competition away because everyone else is kind of ignoring this particular friction. I envisioned those as opportunities. I love that. So, I mean, there's a, a number of things I'd love to unpack here. And uh, and before we get in too, too deep and too serious, I mean, growing up on, on a farm and learning <laughs> the ins and outs of, of that area, I mean, it gives you a, a sort of resilience. I, I grew up around horses and, and doing oh, irrigation. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I get it. I mean, there's nothing more uh, character building than going out and doing the irrigation in the freezing cold and, and, uh, and trying to get all of that sorted. But, mm -hmm. you know, as you did that, what do you feel like would be the number one thing that you learned from that portion of mm -hmm. your life that still keeps showing up today, even as you're helping businesses grow? So this is not going to be rocket science, but it's something that we could hear and say over and over and over. Listen, when you mentioned you also grew up on a farm, horses do not speak verbally. I was by myself most of the time and I began to train horses and create revenue that particular way as well at a very early age. So I spent a lot of time with these very large animals that can be quite persuasive, but they are not quite, they're not very verbal. Additionally, I did grow up around my father. So everyone that I spent time with as a kid, uh, they weren't my age. They were 20 or 30 years my senior. Well, right. if you're at that age and you've been taught, certainly being from the South, keep your mouth shut and keep your ears open uh, and be respectful, I did that. But I was a complete sponge. So natural curiosity driven by unwavering, intentional listening really driven by those horses because they wouldn't speak to me. So I had to be very attentive to their language that they were speaking. And the same thing to me transfers over into business. Oftentimes, and there's many books that I'm sure we've all read. There's so much more communication that's going on other than the audible that you hear. If you in tune yourself to it, you absolutely have a competitive advantage versus the guy who's looking and excited about responding versus understanding. So that has also taken from each and every business engagement uh, since I was at a very early age. So even though I felt like I should have been born in Manhattan where things move a little bit faster, um, <laughs> I would not be where I am sitting today without the ability to learn those skills at a very early age and then just continuously reapply. When you're dealing with a company, what uh, let's, let's just take an example from one of your past exploits. When you're dealing with a company and you can, uh, you know, there's something wrong 
and you've read one of those nonverbal things that's going on mm-hmm. that they're not telling you, but you have recognized it. Can you yep. tell us about one of those things that maybe wasn't being said, wasn't being talked about, but non-verbally you were able to go in and analyze it tell us about that because i feel like a lot of us in our businesses are looking at things and and sometimes we're just so immersed in the situation that we can't Mm -hmm. see it we don't even know to talk about it because it's not even present to us because we're so immune to it so talk to us about one of those yeah so in internally and i mentioned a little bit earlier is listen for those complaints and dig deeper on them the application of that I'll travel backwards to maybe the early 2000s to the mid 2000s. It was in the wireless industry. There's no really reason I should be in the wireless industry other than what I've shared with you already. I had built basically the equivalent of a tractor supply before tractor supply existed. Um, So it was a horse feed and agricultural store. A gentleman came by and wanted to sell me Nextel. And some of us may remember that was a two-way radio that you press a button and you're able to dictate (laughs) what happens on the other end in a very quick fashion. Right. So in that particular industry, uh, quickly grew very fast under one other simple concept, make it easy for people to do business with you. Uh, that particular product was used primarily in the production home builder trade. Where do those guys participate and do their work in neighborhoods? So I set up the entire city, like a little ice cream truck routes. And people would come by and service or sell or deliver you a Nextel telephone where you're working. But one of the frictions or nonverbal cues was the sense that they're always very cost conscious and they would make comments around their monthly bill. So that was very easy to understand that there was a friction there. What was not as easy to understand is how to resolve it. And if you dig just a little bit deeper, the way to resolve it is just to connect the dots on some things that are absolutely facts and or resources that exist. The common problem, everybody had it. Their bill was wildly out of control. Another fact, they changed rate plans every month. Just like today, whoever's ringing your internet into your home is changing those rate plans pretty frequently. But unless you pick up the phone and call them and have a good conversation with the retention department, you're not getting the best deal. So the fact that all of my folks had to understand what those new rate plans were and all of my clients had a similar issue that they wasn't really spoken, but it was absolutely understood that it was the volatility of their monthly costs that was enabling them or preventing them from being able to budget correctly. And at that time they were growing quickly. This was before 2006 when the home building industry was going wild. So, I listened, I created an application and a service. The service would review your monthly bill before you actually received it. It would understand your trending and your usage patterns, including the person that just broke up with his girlfriend that was using a woeful amount of text messaging and making the real run really high. And proactively we matched, we displayed matchmaker. This person's trending patterns and usage patterns to the new rate plans saved millions. But in that particular example, the nonverbal and digging a little bit deeper underneath the surface. And as I mentioned earlier, who does this apply to? I received a lot of yeses, turned it into an organization, ultimately about $20 million recurring annually. Wow. That's great. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of finding those problems and solving those solutions. There's a lot of talk 
in the um, entrepreneurial space. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting. The talk is you should do what you love because if you don't do what you love, it's going to be hard. There's going to be hard times. If you're not doing what you love, it's mm-hmm. going to be really difficult to make it through those hard times. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the same token, you hear the other side. Find the problem, solve the problem, and you'll never go without money in your life because yes. you've solved people's problems. Yes. And uh, so what's the merger? What's the um, what's that space in between where you're doing what you love, but you're also actually solving problems? Uh, how do you how do you find that space? Yes, yeah, so both at the same time. Yes, is what I would say. <laughs> Uh, I absolutely believe in unique ability, which I was introduced to as a concept from Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach up in Toronto. Uh, there's another concept, it was a recent, very popular book, Who, Not How. So to complement the first item, do what you love. I would strongly encourage you to dig deeper and understand what your true unique ability or what is, is giving you the passion that you're able to turn into value creation to complement your second point. You'll never go broke. If you're able to use what you are uniquely crafted and qualified to do, what gives you passion, therefore you will not run out of energy to create value, real value. Then you're always going to have a business one and be able to make money through the art of creating value for others. But you, as with any business, a very logical response would be takes a lot of people. Right. If you're only doing what you're uniquely capable of doing, I'm sure there's a couple other roles in the company that have to be fulfilled. Uh, focusing on your unique ability and being able to find it and then drive from it requires you to implement one of Dan's other concepts, which is who, not how. And the who, not how, of course, is when you run across things in the business that are required and you're aware that they're required, you have two options. The very small business, solopreneur, those of us just starting out, and I've had quite a few startups, and I did not subscribe to this methodology for a long time. Thought I could do it, get up earlier, work harder, be smarter, and stay longer. And that did work for a period of time. When I began to understand that I'm not the best at doing all of these things, and I did the work to figure out what I am best at doing, doing, which is growth and innovation, seeing the vision and how things connect to create more value, I began to hire correctly and in hiring correctly, focusing on those that you hire, what they're uniquely qualified to doing and remove them. A lot of times we build job descriptions and they're healthy. I'll say have tons and tons of line items on them. We're so excited when you're small to have someone else help you that you tend to overload them coming out of the gate. Uh, I strongly encourage you not to do that and to look through ways of collaboration, which is speaks about a little bit in the book. So you can multiply your efforts and hit the ground running and begin to grow exponentially, but not feel like you're on a hamster wheel. So full circle, I think it's both. You must right. find what you're passionate about doing. You must find what gives you energy and does not take energy away. And then I would strongly encourage to look horizontal and the convention of, especially when you're starting out, not partnering with others. Uh, and I can understand that. And for a long time, I'm hundred percent equity in all things. There's only been three to four that I, I decided to do differently on and that's okay. One thing that I would consider 
<clears throat> as you are starting out and you have this focus is the art of collaboration where two individuals have the same hero, the person that you want to be hero to and empowering them to take care of those things that you're just unique. You're not uniquely qualified in doing because you got to be real careful of that. Uh, I, I'm sure everyone who's listening has been on that hamster wheel once or twice or currently uh, to get off that hamster wheel, collaboration, collaboration, collaboration. There's a lot that comes with that concept of collaboration. I love the pieces that you've talked about thus far in terms of hiring, uh, <clears throat> you know, obviously in, in building a business, the collaboration side of it is super powerful and, and can be really powerful on the front end as a startup and also as a major enterprise, uh, the collaborations. Mm -hmm uh happen on a regular basis talk to us more about the collaboration element in your book and and the some of the ideas that you're teaching there sure uh and i've talked a little bit about like the natural essence of where collaboration happens to be able to see it and and once it becomes visible i feel like there's natural attraction between two elements people places or things or to your point entities one example uh nikes and tiffany's which is a strange collaboration, but absolutely works. Uh, they beg to be in collaboration, but to get there, you have to understand exactly who you are, who your hero is, who do you want to be a hero to? And then when you look sideways, understanding others who also have the same hero, when you identify those who have the same hero, the same group that they want to be a hero to, it would lead me to ask a couple more questions. Uh, some of those questions are, do I really understand what their value proposition is and how does it align and complement what I am doing? And is there an opportunity, often there is, to create something collectively that doesn't require us individually to do anything different, but perhaps we were to come together it creates something that is a magnitude of additional value for the end user. And I'll give you a hypothetical example. If you look at what you do in delivering your product or service and you challenge yourself to ask before you deliver your product or service, what is the person that you would like to be a hero to experiencing? What decision do they have to make? What are they being afflicted by? And potentially what type of organization are they engaging with before you get involved? And then perhaps when you deliver your product or service and you deliver that value and it goes exceptionally well, whoever you want to be a hero to has to take additional action. Whether you've helped them reach another plateau in their organization, you reach their goal and they have to move the, the goalpost again. And therefore they have to make another decision and engage with the next service provider or project. If you can identify those, uh, those are immediate. And I feel like low hanging fruit collaborators, right. they enable you to immediately pass at a minimum clients back and forth. And if they're worth their salt in delivering their product or service at the same level that you are, you can trust your reputation whenever you actually engage them as a collaborative partner and the same for them. That's I envision that as stage one collaboration. When you move beyond that, you can move to stage two. And I briefly touched on it. What if the three of you, those three entities, those three service providers or organizations can come together to create something and brand it that raises above you three individually? 
now you have created something that there is no competition for. <clears throat> and remember earlier when I said, I set up the city like an ice cream truck route or with ice cream truck routes. And I sent guys into those neighborhoods to service all of the clients. It's exactly where they were. I was making it easy for people to do business with my organization, even though everyone in the industry had many more years of service. I was selling horse trailers and stacking feed. When you apply this concept, you're able to create, as I mentioned, something that has exponential more value. You've also reduced the amount of time that your hero target has to get quotes, engage, maybe meet. You're constantly reducing your, your overall pricing, enabling you to have increased margin, not just you, but your collaborative partners. Uh, so I hope that gives you a little bit of insight to what collaboration actually can do and complements what the book is actually projecting. I want to dig in a little bit to value proposition. I know a lot mm. of businesses uh, through different stages of growth have such a difficult time with value proposition and figuring out what their unique uh, service is or their unique version of what it is that they're doing so that they can stand out amongst the crowd. Mm. Uh, what are some of the best ways to go about uh, determining that and, and figuring out what their value proposition is? Mm -hmm. uh, the best possible way to lean on the horses is to listen. Uh, I don't feel like we can spend enough time with those that we serve. In in my experience, and I do spend an enormous amount of time with other entrepreneurs and as well clients of all of the businesses that I currently own and who they serve. <clears throat> in doing so, a, a few questions for them that leads them to a place to just really giving you a lot of insight into how your value proposition is being received. Sometimes it's things that you don't want to know at face value, but can be absolutely pivotal to your overall success and also to your ability to separate yourself from the competition. I would say after you get a little size to you, you start making a little bit of money. You're so focused on being able to scale that thing up, hire the right people, position yourself in the market. Maybe you haven't brought on marketing and you're trying to do it yourself or you're picking up a couple of subcontractors. Um, those are all tough, tough years. Uh, I strongly encourage you to spend as much time as you can with your client to listen and to them and understand where your value proposition is and how it's being received and what they really interpret as it. Additionally, what you'll likely find, and I mentioned a little bit earlier when I spoke to a little bit on collaboration, a lot of times you're going to find that they are in love with your product or service. You're doing an awesome job. Your team's amazing. But whenever you do what you do or before you do what you do, they're having a lot of friction. Uh, I find those opportunities to one either empower you to collaborate with others. Maybe you can help others who are not spending their time with their client to understand how they can interpret and better right size their value proposition. Perhaps they do not want to engage and this happened to me many a time. Um, that's an opportunity. When I mentioned earlier, that's a friction. Uh, you can then begin to survey all of your clients. You're going to get feedback of course, in your product or service but they're also going to validate if the friction that one of your star clients can assume you go to your top 10 first, right? That's very conventional. Uh, in doing so, you might find a lot of commonality that they're all experiencing the same friction and you can expand your product or service 
once again, removing yourself from competition because now you're delivering more and or you're going to uncover ways to collaborate with others that can also, when bundled in that stage two, separate you from competition and begin to increase your margin or at least empower you to be increase your margin. I love that. That's really awesome. Well, tell us how for some of the listeners out there that are super excited about the stuff you've been sharing, how can they connect more with you and find out more about what you're up to and, and the things that you're doing these days? Yeah, sure. Uh, easiest way, obviously LinkedIn is a, is a very easy way to search for Chad T. Jenkins. Uh, another way is you're, if you like and would like to engage and read some of the methodologies that I've used for years and years, you can grab the book anywhere that you get your books. Uh, just add a zero is again the book title. And then uh, a landing page that we put up specifically for this one, which also will have a, a couple of resources, is Chad T. Jenkins forward slash BC. Sorry, Chad T. Jenkins dot com forward slash BC. This internet's a little bit new for me. That's great. That's great. Well, we've got that on the screen. We'll put it in the show notes as well. And uh, and hopefully everybody will go and check it out. Just add a zero. Awesome. I'm excited to check it out myself and uh, see and learn more from all the great wisdom that you're sharing with us today. Uh, can you leave us with some words of wisdom today before we head out? <laughs> Better is infinite. Stay curious. Those are two big ones for me. Uh, looking at whatever you do today, I just ch constantly challenge yourself. What's an edge that I could create? Um, and then stay extremely curious. Know that you can always make it a little bit better. And uh, also know that you don't have to do it yourself. We talked about a lot, a lot today about collaboration and levering the, leveraging the strengths of others. Um, I wouldn't let that one go by the wayside. It's really impactful. Well, guys, as usual, it's important that you continue to choreograph your businesses in all aspects, in all areas. Keep on choreographing. We'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks for joining us today. And, and thanks, Chad, for being here. We'll see thanks you guys again. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.